Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes. I'm really glad to be back to record another episode, and this week I'm going to talk about Double Masters, um, an overview of the format as a whole. This is a format that doesn't exist on Arena, and therefore we're going to have to make do with no 17 lands data. So I'm going to be speaking purely from my own experience, observation, and theory. So anything that you disagree with, feel free to throw it out and assume I'm crazy. So big picture, this set is uh, designed, I think, largely to be played with three color pairs and two color pairs, similarly to Streets of New Capenna, but I would argue that it does it much more successfully. The big difference here, uh, well, there are a few big differences. Uh, the big difference that makes it feel like you want to be three colors rather than more than three colors, where you can often get away with more than three in Streets of Nukapenna, here there are far fewer treasures, and also, more importantly, there aren't trilands. And that means that when you take non-basic lands to fix your mana, and it's very most of the fixing is non-basic lands, those lands only tap for two colors of mana, which means that you get plus one total colored mana source. Now to explain what I mean, if it's if you haven't watched me build a mana base or you aren't used to thinking about it the same way that I do, if you have a normal limited deck that wants to play 17 lands and you have no fixing whatsoever, you get 17 total colored mana sources. So you can play like a 9-8 or a 10-7 mana base. Whatever you do, it has to add up to 17. If you have the same thing, but you have two dual lands, uh, each of those are lands that are two colors in one card. Uh, so each of them you can think of as an extra mana source. So if you have two dual lands and a two color deck with 17 lands, you have 19 total colored mana sources. So now you can have a 10-9 mana base. When you have a land that provides three different colors and you're playing three different colors, it's plus two colored mana sources, which is twice as effective at increasing your total available uh, colored mana sources uh, than a two color land, which means that you need far fewer picks and far fewer tap lands to make difficult mana bases work when you have lands available that give you more than two colors. If you're actually trying to play five colors, and you have something like a Shimmer Drift Veil that you can count as fixing for whatever color you happen to not draw, it becomes radically easier to play five colors because you can count all of those uh, as a full five different colored mana sources in your deck. It gets a little dicey if you're relying on a lot where you have to choose a single one versus like a Trans Guild Promenade or whatever version of land that taps for five different colors you want to think of, City of Brass, whatever. Those pure fixers are even more powerful, but those lands scale. They're, they're more effective at fixing your mana the more colors you play. So if you have a land that can fix five colors and you're only playing three colors, you only get to count it as three extra sources. All of this is to say, if you want to support a mana base that's more than three colors in Double Masters, you need a truly outrageous number of tapped lands in order to get enough total colored mana sources. Like if you're trying to play like solid four, you probably want a mana base that's something like nine, eight, seven, five or something. 
which nine plus eight plus seven plus five is like 29 mana sources, which if you think about that in terms of like, well, you have a base 17 and then every dual land you take adds one, it's just, it's <laughs> you're not going to get there. Every like rampant growth and fiery fall cards that can get you whatever color you're missing adds a lot, but there are very few such cards in this format. And most of the fixing in this format is... Uh, dual lands, specifically cryptic spires, which is great because it means that whatever you're trying to fix, it's there in the pack and you can take it, but it's not very effective at making your mana a lot better. So that means that every extra color you try to add, you, you really feel it in your mana base. It's really, really difficult to play uh, four or five colors with a good mana base. It's pretty easy to play three. The other big way in which Double Masters supports three-color decks where Streets of New Capenna doesn't really, is that Double Masters has tons and tons and tons of really efficient removal, which makes things hard for the aggro decks because the control decks can kill their creatures for one or two or three mana, almost always while trading up on mana. And that's exactly what you need to do if you're trying to stabilize with a deck that has a lot of tap lands against an aggressive deck that doesn't have a lot of tap lands. And so Double Masters both prevents you from playing four or five colors as easily as you can in Streets of New Capenna and gives three color decks a better chance against two color decks than they have in Streets of New Capenna, which really pulls the whole format to be a little bit more likely to play three colors exactly. There are definitely still decks that really want to be two-color and still reasons to play two-color, and I do think the format is a mix of two- and three-color decks, but think that it's a much more balanced mix than we saw in Streets of New Cabana uh, for those reasons. Uh, the big advantage to playing two-colors is, again, all of the fixing has to come from these tapped lands, and to have good mana with more than two colors, you need a lot of tapped lands which you can get, again, because there are a lot of tap lands in these packs, but when you choose to do that, you slow yourself down a lot. And that widens the gap in terms of like how much effective mana you get to spend over the course of a game when you're playing against an aggressive deck and makes it easier for the aggressive decks to get under the control decks and steal games, uh, which is what aggressive decks are trying to do if you want to frame it that way. Two-color decks really want to take advantage of the fact that they have smoother, faster mana. This is a set with a lot of gold cards. There are 20 gold commons and at least 20 gold uncommons. So that's, that's counting like momentary blink and forbidden alchemy as gold, which is kind of how they're counted in the set construction. But the point is, when you have more colors, you get access to a lot of powerful cards that two-color decks have access to very few of. So the decks that are more colors do get paid for that. They get extra uh, power, and so the decks that are forgoing that really need to take advantage of their smoother, faster mana and try to end games before the uh, three-color decks can get all their stuff working. It might be a matter of uh, stumbling to find colors, more likely just a matter of uh, having tapped lands that slow their uh, development. That's really the most important part to me, just like 
understanding the format as a whole without getting into any kind of specifics about single archetypes. Um, the format, I think, is really very much defined by the way that mana works in it, which is kind of true of magic in general, but particularly true of a format that's doing so much um, to have kind of a unique situation in terms of how mana works, both in terms of having like gold cards, having gold cards of every three color pair and every two color pair all in the same set. That's very unusual. And also just the way that the lands work. Um, it's rare for a set with this many gold cards to not have any lands that can tap for more than two colors. Even in most Ravnica sets, we see some kind of five color land. Also, this is a set with bounce lands. They're uncommon, so it's not as bounce land heavy as original Ravnica, but uh, those cards are really important. They're very, very strong. And I personally, if I'm not drafting an aggressive deck, spoilers, I'm basically never drafting an aggressive deck, will take them over anything that is not a legitimate bomb if, they are, if I'm using both of their colors. They're very similar to a tapped land that draws a card, which is a very, very, very powerful effect. That's all the you know top level stuff that I have to talk about. Now I want to run down all 20 supported color combinations, meaning every two color pair and every three color pair. Since I'm gonna talk about 20 different decks, I'm gonna do just the quick highlights. Blue-white, you get some flyers, some blink synergies. You're more about value than aggression, so I don't really know why you'd wanna to stick to two colors. I think there's not a lot of reason to play blue-white as a two-color deck. The like synergies that you get aren't synergies that like make sense for being two colors, the, given the incentives of being two colors in this format, in terms of the amount of late game power you give up and the like kind of early mana boost that you get. There's a way that you can do like blue-white prowess with like Leav Sky Knights for tempo, but you just are so much worse at like outputting damage than like the red aggressive decks that you're not going to be like stealing games from people because everyone knows that they need to be able to withstand the red aggressive decks. So you're going to be like falling back on value and then it just seems like you'd probably be better off if you splashed a third color. That's going to be the case for a lot of these two-color decks. Like, you can do it, but for the most part, I don't know why you want to. Um, you just, like, it's just easy and rewarding to splash third colors. So you probably should. White-Black. This one kind of makes sense to me as a two-color deck, even though it's not as aggressive as the red decks. This format kind of vaguely hints at some sort of reanimator thing going on uh, with, like, um, unburial rights is the primary thing that would make you think that, but there's, like, Ashen Riders are rare that you can get that uh, points that way. That's not really what White Black is about. White Black is very much about like kind of go wide token sack type stuff. The uh, key cards, I think, are really like Mentor of the Meek, Blood Artist, Militia Bugler, Call to the Feast. Mentor of the Meek and Blood Artist are uncommons. Militia Bugler and Call to the Feast are commons. Trying to decide how much I should try to give you full text on stuff where it's like the set's new, but every card's a reprint. Mentor of the Meek is a 3-mana 2-2 two, two. when a uh, creature with power 2 or less enters the battlefield under your control. You can spend a mana to draw a card. This is a downshift from rare to uncommon. It's one of the most impactful uncommons. Um, it really feels like a rare. This is a card that's in a lot of cubes. 
super, super strong card. A lot of, um, a lot of good synergies with it. Um, the whole deck can, it's really, really easy to have a deck that just revolves around Mentor of the Meek if you get a few of them. And then, uh, Call to the Feast, um, is the common white black two sorcery that puts three one one lifelink vampire tokens into play. That's a great example. That and Militia Bugler, which is uh the 2-3 vigilance for two and a white, uh that when it when it enters the battlefield, you get to look at the top four cards and put a creature with power two or less from among them into your hand. That's another downshift from uncommon to common. Super, super impactful. Really important common. Uh I think Mentor of the Meek and Militia Bugler are two of the most powerful white cards in the set at their rarities. They really, you know, the fact that they were originally printed at a higher rarity, you really feel it. It feels weird that you get them as easily as you do in this set. And I think that uh, getting a lot of them is really the backbone to successful white, especially white, black, also somewhat white red or mardu but really 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 core to white black um since so many of your creatures are going to be small and it's so easy to go wide vampiric rights uncommon lets you sack creatures to draw cards is another good value option for this deck You're, this is doing normal white black stuff go wide nickel and dime your opponent sack your like turn your creatures into like card advantage get some weird engine going and then kind of like burn your opponent out with blood artist or just go wide around them pretty pretty typical stuff white red is i think pretty clearly the best aggro deck this is a heroic slash prowess aggro deck uh but it's really well supported the uh haste legionnaire 10th district i think uh at common is very aggressive very impactful monastery swift spear at common is aggressive impactful and heroic reinforcements at uncommon is just absolutely backbreaking. One of the most powerful uncommons in the set. Uh, this deck is very scary. It has a lot of like reach. Like it can go face pretty easily with lightning bolt and lightning helix at uncommon and rift bolt at common. There's also stagger shock at uncommon. Just a lot of burn to back up a lot of uh, creatures with good combat tricks that can push a lot of damage out of nowhere. This deck is definitely uh, kind of like the speed, you know, benchmark, checkpoint, whatever you want to call it. The thing that you need to be able to withstand if you want to not get run over by aggressive decks in this format. Uh, this is the deck that has the most reason to be exactly two color. Really don't want to splash in this deck. It's so aggressive that I'd be like, well, it'd be nice if we could be one color, but the gold cards are just so good. And also because this set has so many gold cards, it's really hard to just get enough playables in one color. So I think it's very, very rare that you're going to be able to be like mono red or mono white aggro, but red white aggro is um, really one version of old reliable in this format. Just a good aggro deck for people who are looking for that. Green white, this is kind of looking to be uh, like plus one, plus one counter aggro. But uh, the support for it isn't quite the right support for the most part. Like a lot of the ways that you can get counters on things at common is with like Outlast guys, which are not really the way that you want to be trying to turn on your like Chronicler of Heroes, the green-white 3-3 three, three for 3 that draws a card if you have a plus one plus one counter. You don't want to have to like play a guy and then find a chance to use mana on it to put a counter on it and then play your 3-3 three, three to draw a card especially since like drawing a card isn't really the best payoff if you're trying to get your opponent dead. If you're not trying to get your opponent dead, again, you shouldn't be just two colors. So th this deck is kind of in an awkward spot where 
it needs to be a little bit bigger, a little bit slower, but it's then you kind of get, you know, smushed by the slightly bigger three color green decks. So if you get a lot of uh, the, you know, the, the premium uncommons for this deck are super, super premium, um, Conclave, Mentor, and Travel Preparations. But if you don't have those, the common support is just not really aggressive enough for the position that I think that this deck would need in this format. Also, these counter decks are kind of more synergy-based than like just red-white attack you is. And I already talked about how there's just so much good, efficient removal. Well, that good, efficient removal makes it really easy to break up synergies from synergy decks. So I'm not a big fan of uh, green-white's positioning in this format. Blue-black, this is another one where it's, why are you two colors? Like, this is kind of one of the most controlling two-color pairs. You know, your, like, common gold cards are Agony Warp and Forbidden Alchemy, which are both very clearly trying to extend the game. Uh, and then your uncommons are uh, five and six mana cards. You know, you can be two color just to like have super smooth mana to keep up with the aggro decks, but you're going to play a long game and you're going to have to try to find, find a way to win games against people with three colors of cards in their decks. That's a tough ask. So blue-black is another one where it's just really hard to, for me to imagine really ever wanting to be blue-black rather than blue-black splashing a third color. Blue-red, on the other hand, I think is actually a really good aggro deck. Um, you're trying to look a lot more like uh, red-white. You know, like I've, I've talked before about how blue-red is always in this weird spot where it's like, okay, am I a blue deck that's like card draw and interaction with cheap red removal? Or am I like a red deck that's like cheap creatures with blue interaction like tempo cards this is very much the red deck this wants to be a prowess aggro deck blue offers you know a, some prowess creatures prophetic bolt at uncommon is a really big deal that card's awesome gives you a lot of extra reach but yeah for the for the most part i think this is kind of like it's sitting kind of firmly behind red white as far as like default way to end the game but i think that it's you know a good path if that's what's open blue green is another how how would you end up two colors <laughs> like why why not just play some more colors this is another this is very clearly a ramp deck the blue green stuff is really about giving you more mana spending more mana um coiling oracle river hoopo bounty of luxa are all very strong if you're playing long games and have a lot of mana uh, the one on flying death touch codal for three mana with flash is not very impressive one way or another, but certainly better if you're trying to stay alive than if you're trying to end a game. So this this is a deck that's going to want to splash another color for removal. That's that's really just what it's going to come down to. You're going to want to play or your blue green like ramp and card advantage and all that, but you want some nice cheap removal spells from a third color. Black red, black and red's thing is like having a lot of good removal. That's pretty good, but like sometimes like red black has like real aggressive creatures and you're just like, oh, okay, I can like play a guy, kill my opponent's guy, hit my opponent with my guy, repeat. This doesn't really have that. Like there's the 2-2 haste that lets you sack creatures to dome your opponent, like fire whatever Rakdos card, but it's not very good, not very important, not very impactful. I think red black is not 
really a thing. It's not even like splash another color. It's really like your three color decks will use red and or black to have removal. I, I like Grixis a lot, but I wouldn't consider it like red, black, splash blue or anything. I, I just, I don't feel like red, black as a base color has a particular plan. It's just kill stuff and then what? Like your your gold cards are like, you know, Augur Spree and Terminate, like good removal, but and then there's the the four three for four that you can spend one and sack a creature to ping something. Which is very, very good if you're Mardu, but red black just doesn't really make like enough tokens to take advantage of it. Black green, there's like a like Golgari self mill aggro deck. It's not really supported enough that I'm happy with it. This is kind of in the like green white. Yeah, you can kind of do something, but why? The the payoffs aren't particularly like the synergies aren't very good. There are just better ways to kill someone if that's what you're trying to do. A lot of the cards aren't the, a lot of the cards in your colors aren't going to be trying to do what you're trying to do if you're trying to build an aggressive black green deck. So this is another one that's just sometimes maybe but yeah there's you can do something better if you add another color red green this is another one where i'm just like i'm not really sure what your identity is supposed to be i like red green as a base for playing a four color deck red and green are where you get actual fixing uh you get rampant growth fiery fall and pirate's pillage i'm a big fan of pirate's pillage i think it's actually pretty good in this format particularly i liked pirate's pillage into annoyed altasaur Honestly, I think like that's the best synergy or combo or thing to be doing in red green is Pirates Pillage into Annoyed Altasaur. It's not I don't care about Burning Tree Emissary. I don't care about like trying to find some weird red green aggro deck. I just want to like use Pirates Pillage to ramp to Altasaur. Rampant Growth Pillage, Altasaur on turn four. Let's do it. And that's the two color pairs. Three color pairs. Esper. Esper, I think, is going to primarily revolve around blinking value creatures. The blue-white blink shell uh, gets a lot better with stuff like Psychic Symbiont and Skin Render and Orzhov Pontiff. Tower Gargoyle is their, like, three-color signpost uncommon. The three-color, the, the Esper uncommon that exists, I think the card's pretty bad. 4-4 four, four Artifact is just, I don't know, not very impressive with me in this format. Maybe I just always have a lot of removal, so it doesn't end up doing much, but I would rather the cards in my Esper deck be more about generating value than just playing around a big flyer. I don't really know why that's the card in that slot. Jeskai. This should theoretically probably be like a prowess, like spells matter type deck, but getting the most out of prowess in a three-color deck is a little tricky since you, know, you probably want to be more aggressive if you're trying to do prowess. And Tap lands plus aggro is a little bit awkward. Jeskai Charm does really like if you can actually manage to be like a prowess aggro deck. This is like a pretty flexible space. I don't think your deck is going to be like super high synergy. It's going to be kind of mid-range. Can attack someone, can play a long game. It's going to be a deck. Not a bad deck, just a deck. Bant sends up being like ramp and blink stuff so you take advantage of like the uh evoke elementals and pair them with like settle beyond reality just kind of do some of that stuff faster thanks to like coiling oracle elvish rejuvenator rampant growth and you know your coiling oracles and your elvish rejuvenators are extra creatures to get some blink value out of with your settle beyond reality 
some you know nice this like any kind of slower green deck is a good place for Noid Altasaur. I think that card's really strong. One of the more important commons. So that's what's going on there. I mean, blue-green X is kind of going to play pretty similar, like ramp, big stuff, tons of value, and then any of the other three colors can support, can give you like a good amount of extra removal and stuff. Mardu, kind of talked about this a little, touched on this before, like you're kind of the like white-black go-wide core with red for like, mostly I've been using stuff like Judith, and that 4-3 uncommon uh, hellhound thing or whatever. Just like ways to, you know, get extra value by sacrificing creatures or get extra value out of going wide. Heroic reinforcements is really good here. Kind of more of, more of the same, really. Like white-black, but more. Um, if white-black is open enough, you don't need to add the red. But if you, maybe if you're fighting someone and you don't figure out that you're fight, like competing for the cards that you're looking for and you end up a little short, if you just add red, you get kind of more of the same sort of stuff. Abzan is probably supposed to care about plus one, plus one counters to some extent, I guess. Black's not adding a lot to that. You get some, like, I guess your Seeker Squire sometimes has a plus one, plus one counter on it or whatever. Uh, you can get some counters out of like scavenging your drag manglers. But I'm not like I basically I don't really think that green is about what like green's not really providing what white and black are looking for. Like there's no real synergy between like Call to the Feast and Annoyed Altisaur, which are kind of like the highlights of like white black and the highlights of green to me. I might be missing something here, but it seems like one of the weaker three color pairs to me. White, red, green might be the only one that I like even less. Like you're red and white and then green. So you have like, so the problem is like most of this seems like it wants to be aggressive, but you're just clunking up your mana with third color. And the three color, uh, the gold card here uh, is like a little three, three that gets plus three, plus three when you play a multicolor card, which I think is among the be worst gold cards in the set. I don't know what you're supposed to be trying to do or why. I, I would just stay away from Naya. Grixis, I'm I'm very into Grixis. You, there's just tons and tons of cheap removal. Uh, card advantage just comes for free. It's really easy to get some combination of like deep analysis, forbidden alchemy, pirates pillage, and then value creatures, and then you just pair that with lightning bolt, rift bolt, lava coil, terminate, agony warp, auger spree, eye blights ending disfigure there's just endless removal and card advantage and then you get some random value creatures living lightning is really good uh i think that this is the deck that's kind of best at preying on the two color aggro decks it's just so easy to have cheap removal kill their threats and then grind them out with card draw where i think you struggle is against the three color green decks i think it's very easy for like you have to um you know, you have all of these like kind of low impact removal spells and then some like dedicated card draw. And if someone just starts playing a bunch of like green value creatures, you can kind of just run out of deck trying to answer it or they can just like accumulate too much value and kill you. Like it's hard to have a lot of answers to annoyed Altasaurus and they often come with like other big things that you need to deal with so i think grixis is really good against like two color decks 
against aggro decks, but it, I, I think it can meaningfully struggle with big green decks. I like Sultai. Again, I want to prioritize the cheap removal even more here, since you don't have red to support you on cheap removal. You really need to lean on like the Agony Warps and Disfigures and Eyeblights endings. But you get all that stuff, and then I think the green commons are just quite good, and you get a lot of like good value stuff here. I like that you can kind of you know beat up on the Grixis decks by having just like more bigger stuff. I don't know. There's almost like a rock paper scissors here, where like the Sultai deck can be a little too slow for the like red white deck, which the Grixis deck is good against, but then the Grixis deck is bad against the Sultai deck. Not sure what else there is to say about that one. Jund is interesting. Jund is like another departure from Sultai to go kind of the same way as Grixis, which is a weird way to put it. But Jund gets, you get both red and black removal again. So you have a lot of cheap removal. You don't have as much raw card draw, but you still get a lot of value from green. So you still, you're not as big as Sultai, but you're better against aggro than Sultai because you have more cheap removal. So the same way that like Grixis plays a little bit more small ball in a way that lines up well against what a lot of the successful decks are doing here. Jund also goes a little smaller. So you're doing different stuff, but both of them are kind of like smaller than Sultai in a way that's pretty structurally useful, I think. And then I think the Jund versus Grixis matchup is interesting. I think it depends on how big the Jund deck is mostly. Um, like, do you have a bunch of Altasaurs or are you trying to be a little bit more, you know, like killing them with 4-4 Tramplers or whatever whatever it is you're doing? Teamer, this is, again, like, it's in a similar space, like these multicolor green, blue, whatever. These are kind of the, like, soup value decks. Teamer, I guess, feels most similar to Sultai to me. Like, you're just replacing black removal with red removal, which, like lowers your curve a little, but makes you a little bit worse at dealing with big stuff. So you're kind of like giving up a little against screen to get a little against like two color aggro. The thing that I like most here is the Pirates Pillage Altasaur combo. So try to kind of like turn the corner a little bit faster, I guess. Yeah, I, I think like the big difference between Teamer and Sultai isn't actually the different removal. It's more that you're trying to like turn the corner faster. You get some like better threatening creatures. And so you end up kind of like being able to play a more aggressive game against like the three color stuff and kind of turning the corner on the aggro decks faster. That's it. <laughs> that's that's uh, just a, a few thoughts on every archetype and some stuff overall. So let's turn this over to chat for questions while well, I give chat a little bit here to remind me of any questions they may have asked while I was talking or offer any new questions. Do want to thank my newest patrons. Thanks to Michael for joining the Draft Archetypes Patreon while we were on hiatus. Really appreciate it. Larger meta note there, the Drafting Archetypes Patreon has been on pause while I've been away from recording new episodes. I do plan to resume the Patreon for, uh, and I do plan to be recording weekly episodes again, uh, starting with this week. I don't know exactly when I'll be recording in general. I think I'm, I'm recording this in the evening, probably going to switch to an afternoon schedule. I'm not sure if that'll be Wednesday or Thursday or something, but I will be resuming Drafting Archetypes uh, as a weekly endeavor. 
I have not decided if it will focus on going more in depth on double masters or if it will be focusing on Baldur's Gate alchemy. Um, it's really just going to depend on which format I and my viewers are more drawn to. I haven't played Baldur's Gate alchemy yet, so I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. Might try to do some of each. Uh, remains to be seen. Chat, got anything for me? First up. Do you think a good way to maximize your cryptic spires is to have all of those add a specific color and not play any basic lands of that third or splash color? How many spires are the fewer meant to do that successfully? Okay. Cryptic spires are that cryptic spires is just a good topic. Cryptic spires are really weird to try to make a mana base out of because you have so many options. Uh, for the most part, I like to start by adding up the total number of sources that I have to work with uh, using the method that I talked about at the beginning of this episode, where you just, you know, if you're playing 17 lands, you start from 17, you just add one for every crypt expire you have, every bounce land you have. If you have rampant growth, you don't count it as a green source, but you count it as a source for every color you're playing that's not green and add that many to your count. Fire you fall, you don't count it as a red source, but you count it for your other colors, add that to your count. Then you get some kind of total. I generally just divide the total by the number of colors I'm playing to figure out, okay, how many sources of each color do I get on average? And if I have 21 total sources and I'm playing three color, all right, I only get seven sources of each of my colors. It's not very many. Hopefully one of them is a splash. And then maybe I can go like eight, seven, nine, nine eight, four. That's 21, right? Yeah, 984. 984 would be reasonable if you're splashing one of the colors. Then, so, say, we had 21. Let's say that was because I had four cryptic spires. So, no fixing except for four cryptic spires. And I'm trying to figure out how to make my mana work in a deck that's going to be 984. So, it's pretty unlikely that you want the four. Let's say I'm red, white, splash, blue. I'm probably not going to want four islands in my deck because those are probably going to be really bad draws because I probably don't have very many blue cards in my deck. And uh, that means that those islands are going to have to tap for colorless every time that I'm not playing one of my couple of blue spells. Whereas if I have a cryptic spire that I put blue on, then sometime I'll tap it for blue. And then if it's blue, red or blue, white, uh, the rest of the time I can use it for red mana or white mana. So by default, most of the time, you do want to make sure that your splash color is on your cryptic spires as much as possible. Uh, if you have something like a rampant growth or a fiery fall, you want to make sure that you have exactly one of your splash land to go find. And then you're probably going to want to make the rest of your, uh, splash, the rest of your cryptic spires tap for your splash color. Unless there's a reason to do otherwise, I generally like to, like if I had four uh, cryptic spires by default, I would want to go two of them are uh, red, white, or red, blue, two of them are white, blue, uh, just mix it up so that when I draw multiples of them and I'm trying to figure out how to tap my lands, I have more options. I can choose how I want to sequence my lands differently. I can choose how I want to tap my lands depending, depending on exactly what's in my hand. But there are definitely things that could change that. For example, if my splash is all is it cards, if I have like is it charm and uh, the tutu flyer that puts a spell from my graveyard on the top of my deck, then I know that I want 
blue and red mana at the same time. So I don't want one land that taps for both blue and red because then I need two copies of that. So if I'm splashing is it cards, then I want to make sure that I'm playing um, Azorius lands. So I want to make my Cryptic Spires all blue-white and then play mountains. And uh, I don't want to play islands because I don't have very many blue cards in my deck. So I play all uh, blue-white lands and mountains. Um, if I have a mix, then we go back to when in doubt, split it evenly. But the main thing that I like to do is look at where my cheap gold cards are and don't make cryptic spires that are the same color pair as my cheapest gold cards. So if I have agony warps, if I have multiple agony warps in my deck, I'm going to try to avoid having cryptic spires that tap for blue black um, so that I can maximize my chances of casting agony warp. Also, if I have something like a liege, any sort of card that has a lot of hybrid mana symbols, I want to minimize the uh, number of total lands in my deck that can't help cast that card. So that's another thing to watch for when you're choosing which colors to put on your Cryptic Spires. What colors do you think are the strongest in this format? I think red is the best aggressive color. I think that if you're looking to play two colors, uh, red is a good place to be. If you are just like an aggro player at heart and you want to end games, I think starting with red is a good thing to do. I like the green commons quite a bit. I think that white, like the cheap creature part of white, specifically Mentor the Meek Militia Bugler, I think is really strong. Black has really, really good removal. And blue has really good card draw. So I guess I like all of them. I think they all succeed at doing the thing they're trying to do. So it's less that I think that there are certain colors that are good and more that I think that there are certain combinations that work better or make more sense, which I've uh, kind of already gone over. Basically, I think you want to be Grixis, uh, red-white, or a three-color green deck would be my top three places to, like, top three ways to think about it. Or, like, those are the mindsets that I want to have. Either I'm a multicolor green deck, I'm Grixis, or I'm... Uh, like red aggro, two color red aggro. Could be red, white, or red, blue. How likely is it to cast or cheat the Eldrazi Titans in this set, or how can I identify that's something I could do? Uh, the Eldrazi Titans are castable. Kozilek and Ulamog reasonably easily, and I've heard, uh, I heard about someone uh, who was playing at the same local store that I was who hard cast Emrakul multiple times. Bounty of Luxa goes a really, really long way, but also just like bounce lands and the fact that games between control decks in this format just go kind of long. Also, Pirate's Pillage. Um, there, there are a lot of ways to like get uh, too big mana. I also, I, I think the Eldrazi Titans are really, really good, partially because I think that in the three color uh, matchups, it's not hard to just like really plow through your deck and I think the games can come to decking yourself and I think that the reshuffle clause on the Eldrazi Titans is actually really big. I think the Eldrazi Titans are good. I think that you need to make sure that you are a deck that can actually like get up to them, which I think is mostly going to be blue-green decks, uh, but some other slow decks can use them. Next, I've had a couple of decks that were two color base with two small splashes 
Uh, do you feel like staying disciplined to three color is worth avoiding additional power? I've also done that. It's pretty hard if you're not in the rampant growth, fiery fall pirates pillage business. If you are in that business, I think it's totally reasonable to have like two color with some small splashes. But I have really been punished for adding the fourth color most of the time. It's often really tempting. There are just a lot of really powerful cards. Sometimes you, you know, you are two colors and you see some random rares in different colors. And it's like, wow, it'd be really good to get these in there. I think that there's enough power and the mana hurts enough to go from three to four that most of the time I would recommend trying to stick to more disciplined three colors. But, uh, you know, if it, if it genuinely is two small splashes, like, you know, you can make that work with the uh, tools that are available. There's also Traveler's Amulet if you really need it. And, you know, if you're getting powerful enough cards, it's acceptable. Next up, any cards or synergies you're hoping to get to try first? So I, I'm actually, like, close to 10 drafts in at this point. So it's less about hoping to try. I would like to personally play some of the aggro decks more. Uh, I, not surprisingly, have naturally gravitated toward more of the three-color decks. Um... I'd like to get some more personal first-hand experience in with two-color decks. Next up, would you play half-color bounce lands in a three-color deck? Sometimes. I don't prioritize them highly because in my three-color decks, I find it really important to prioritize fixing. And I have generally felt like my three-color decks need so many tapped lands that it really hurts to get another tapped land in that's not fixing such that I think for the most part, I would avoid it unless I really have a lot of expensive stuff and really want to make sure that I'm uh, not ever failing to make a land drop. But I, I think, you know, while I'm really, really enthusiastic about double on-color bounce lands, two-color bounce, uh, like half on-color bounce lands, I think require a special case to want them. So questions about whether artifact and enchantment threats are significantly stronger than usual because there's not a lot of common and uncommon removal of artifacts and enchantments. Uh, I think, I mean, so that that checks out. Quisali Pride Mage is like the only artifact enchant removal that I can think of offhand at common and uncommon. There's probably something else, but uh, it's true that there's not a lot of that. I don't know what exactly we're talking about when we say artifact and enchantment threats. I assume you just mean in general, like strong, you know, rare artifacts and enchantments or whatever. Like a lot of the cards in this set are kind of older. And I think that it's uh, really more recent that it's been normal to have just like incidental artifact and enchantment removal available. I think for most of Magic's history, uh, which is, you know, very long. And so a lot of it's like, pretty old. We've had access to like main deckable artifact and champ removal for a few years now. But uh, for a lot of Magic's history, the default was in limited. It's just really hard to kill an artifact or enchantment. And I think that that's just kind of the space that we're in in this set. You just kind of expect that if you play an enchantment, it's going to be in play. Um, and that's not necessarily like making it stronger than usual because for a lot of these cards if you're like used to evaluating it in the context of its format that is its usual case that's just how strong the card generally is i know i had 
Uh, Panharmonicon earlier, that's a strong one. Uh, when I played it, it did get killed by a Kosali Pride Mage. I know there's Pardon Scales. There aren't that many, like, you have to deal with this or else type artifact or artifacts or enchantments. But that is a note in, like, Firemind Vessel's favor. Next up, I've found mid-range decks to struggle a bit. The aggro is very strong, and the go-over-the-top uh, power bombs are also very strong. I guess the question is just your thoughts on that assessment and or what sorts of mid-range decks have you found best positioned? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like this, I talked about how I like Grixis, but I feel like it's kind of in this squeeze where you can be like good against the aggro decks, but then like the other mid-range decks, particularly the green mid-range decks, can kind of go over the top of you. I, I might just be speaking from my own experience here where I have... Uh, I have a lot of two ones, and I have not managed to go 3-0 in a good number of drafts. This has not been an overwhelmingly successful format for me. It's been a fine format for me. And I, I definitely have felt like it's tough to have a deck that doesn't have any bad matchups. There are so many really strong things to do, and the decks like have such different plans and attack from such different angles that it's uh, pretty easy to have a deck that's like, really good against most of the format, but bad against someone who's doing a thing that you just don't line up well. Maybe killing you too fast, maybe going over the top, maybe, you know, their plan is just to kill you with Glimpse the Unthinkable, and you don't have a way to stop them from doing that. Or Villainous Wealth is another one that can just go over the top of some people in a way that's just really, really hard to interact with. So yeah, uh, I, I do think that the format can lead to kind of getting squeezed a bit, which is uh, a big point in the aggro deck's favor. You know, if you have a good aggro deck and you just curve out, you can beat anyone <laughs> and, you know, ma make them figure it out. So, yeah, uh, I do think the more you're trying to play, you know, reactive and line your cards up against your opponents and letting them kind of dictate the pace of the game, the more you can kind of struggle with, like, getting squeezed by positioning yourself not quite right. Whereas... If you're just getting them dead, you just do your thing and hope it works out. Follow up, if you're clearly not getting aggro, but your long game inevitably just doesn't get there and the strength of your bombs compared to the table, what's the angle you're looking to take? Well, I don't know that you need bombs to have late game strength, especially if you're by bombs, you mean rares. Like, I think just Annoyed Altasaur can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, like, cards of higher rarities. And as far as, like, answering bombs, like, that's not very hard either. Like, there's just so much good hard removal and so much card advantage. Uh, there are, you know, some, like, over-the-top bombs like Eldrazi Titans and Villainous Wealth that might be hard for, like, a kind of mid-range deck to have to not just, like, ultimately lose to. But... I don't know that you, I think that the format's pretty good at just like, oh, my plan is just to like have answers and card advantage and that's my strategy. And like, I don't feel like, basically there are some formats where you really need a bomb or you shouldn't be thinking about being a control deck. And I don't feel like you need some kind of like rare bomb to try to be a control deck in this format. Like Grixis, I think if you just have like some removal and a Sidraxis Spectre or two, like Sidraxis Spectre is really, really powerful and can just steal games um, if your opponent like doesn't have an answer to it or like they try to play a blocker and you kill it or whatever. So I, I think that there are a lot of ways to just like have a coherent, strong game plan 
uh, at common and uncommon, regardless of whether that's about trying to be aggressive or trying to be control or whatever. So I don't know. I, I think that you have a, a lot of options about how you want to approach things, and it doesn't, to me, feel like you need rares to do it. All right. Looks like that's going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in and really glad to be back. Hope this is everything that you need to help you out for the double masters that you're going to play as um, I'm not sure if there will be more of this or not. And so if this is it, hopefully it was enough. We'll find next week, regardless of whether I'm going to be focusing long term on double masters or on Baldur's Gate Alchemy. Next week, I'll probably be doing a Baldur's Gate Alchemy overview, and then we'll figure out which set to focus on from there. But I do want to be sure to give Baldur's Gate Alchemy a fair shot, play some games with it, let some people watch my approach on my stream, and then report on my findings uh, in an overview episode next week, and then we'll figure out where to go from there. So next week will be an overview of Baldur's Gate Alchemy. Once again, really glad to be back. Uh, thanks everyone for listening, and I'll be back next week. Bye.